Hello and welcome back to the CSF Rheumatology Author Interview Podcast. My name is Professor Peter Nash from the Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane. Today we're very fortunate to be joined by Dr. Benjamin Noel, Director of Patient-Centred Research at Creaky Joint, part of the Global Healthy Living Foundation. So we welcome you, Benjamin. Thank you for taking your time to have a discussion with us about your recently published paper, which looks at patient-reported outcomes in rheumatology patients and uh, how important it is to track these digitally and a real-world longitudinal study in arthritis power. So welcome, Benjamin. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about this, uh, uh, where you work and, and how COVID has interfered with your life? <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Professor Nash, for the uh, the welcome, and I'd be delighted to tell you a little bit about uh, the work that we do. So um, I'm the Director of Patient-Centered Research for the Global Healthy Living Foundation. I've been there now uh, about seven and a half years, and I'm also the Principal Investigator for Arthritis Power. It's our patient research registry that was launched in 2015 and, and with support from an organization in the U.S. called the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, or PCORI, that was uh, developed at the same time uh, we passed the Affordable Care Act. Uh, so it's now been around for more than 10 years. So Arthritis Power, our registry, it's a collaboration between our nonprofit patient organization, Global Healthy Living Foundation. A lot of people know us as Creaky Joints, um, which is actually a, a program and pretty well-known website for all forms of arthritis uh, that's part of the Global Healthy Living Foundation. And Arthritis Power uh, was created in partnership uh, between us and rheumatology researchers at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, the medical school there. And Arthritis Power, in addition to being a registry, it's also a smartphone app where patients can track their symptoms, uh, medications, and choose to participate in research studies uh, that are sub-studies of the bigger registry. Uh, so all the patients within the registry have uh, rheumatic or musculoskeletal disease diagnosis uh, that they've reported to us. Um, and, and at this point, we have close to 30,000 consented participants in the registry, um, about 18 or 19,000 of whom have an inflammatory arthritis, so RA or uh, AXPA or psoriatic arthritis. And so when patients join, they can choose to opt in to studies that we offer. Um, and then uh, they also, the uh, data, the information that they provide via patient reported outcome measures, the sort of symptom data uh, is also analyzed as part of our, our work with the registry. Um, and we can also link to electronic healthcare records, medical and pharmacy uh, claims data, biomarkers with permission from the patient. So this can help confirm diagnoses and uh, increases the accuracy of what we're learning from the patients and also just helps give a, a more complete picture of what's going on for the patient. So, man, I got to tell you, COVID, this has been a crazy year, you know, the past year with COVID. Um, we've been uh, busier than usual. Um, I, I think, you know, I feel very lucky uh, to, to that uh, 
to still be working. I think it has not slowed us down. Um, so I feel grateful to, to have my job. Uh, but also, it, we're, we're pretty tired. It's been, a, it's been a, a busy year. We developed a patient support program at the Global Healthy Living Foundation uh, for a number of other diseases as well, not just for arthritis. And we've also uh, launched uh, a study of patients uh, almost exactly a year ago where long, longitudinally we were asking patients uh, how they were faring during the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the choices and behaviors uh, they were making around vaccination and telehealth and so forth. So excited to report that a, a lot of that data has been published already um, from that work. But I'm doing okay. I'm here in New York and uh, spent a lot of time back home with my parents in the state of Utah, where it was a little bit easier to have space spread out from people uh, to get around uh, during what's been a rough, a rough year. Uh, in the U.S. And, and all over the world. Um, so thanks for asking. So tell us a bit about Arthritis Power Registry. Do the patients put themselves in as volunteers? Do the rheumatologists put them in? Is the patient-centered entered data? Is the rheumatologist entered data? Um, and, and what kind of check is there that the diagnosis is correct, that they, uh, they say they got rheumatoid when they really have osteoarthritis? Yeah, that's a great question. So arthritis power is really patient-facing primarily. So patients volunteer to join, and they learn about it in a number of different ways. So they'll hear about it through uh, email invitations, through, <clears throat> through social media, uh, through the Creaky Join social media platforms, uh, Facebook, the website, uh, Twitter, Instagram. And we also do get referrals uh, where rheumatologists are referring their patients to join Arthritis Power. So more and more, we're doing studies where Arthritis Power, the, the app itself is the platform being used to collect data for a study. And so for patients to participate in a study where, where patients are being recruited from a, a clinical site, they'll, they'll need to join Arthritis Power. So it's, a, it's really a combination of both patients finding us kind of on their own through stuff they see online or an invitation or even a flyer in the clinic and also being invited by a, a clinical site uh, to, in order to enroll in a specific uh, study that we're conducting within arthritis power. Um, the question about, you know, how do we know that they really have the diagnosis that um, they report they do to us? Uh, there's a few different ways that we have confirmed those diagnoses. The most uh, common way, the most general way we tend to do that is we know, if we know that they told us they have a particular condition and they told us, told us what medications they're on and then they also tell us the name of their rheumatologist, for us that's enough to accept uh, what they're telling us. It's certainly a limitation that we don't always have for all of our studies, uh, doctor uh, confirmation or rheumatologist confirmation of a disease, but, um, but that's, that's just simply one of the uh, potential limitations of the, of the registry. Again, not all of the studies or sub-studies of arthritis power um, is that the case for, but for, for certainly for some of them. Again, as we do more and more site-based recruitment than the, the doctors, uh, uh, themselves, the clinics uh, are telling us or are finding eligible patients and then referring them 
to the network for that particular study. And the smartphone app, just tell us a bit, does it mainly capture um, safety stuff with side effects or can you look at efficacy with outcome measures or is it more of a patient education resource or just a place for them to record their, um, how they're feeling, their medication? Um, we have a similar one in Australia called ARAD and it's turning into a safety registry because the efficacy side is quite difficult to measure, but the patient reported outcomes make it very easy to look at function, quality of life, and safety issues and adverse effects. Efficacy much more difficult. What does the smartphone app record? What the options are? And do you think of it as a safety registry or an efficacy registry? So we don't think of it as either. Uh, we think of it more as a patient reported outcome uh, registry. So, uh, so we've really tried to build something that would appeal to patients' uh, interest in tracking their own uh, disease and managing their own disease and, and monitoring their own symptoms over time. And then in some cases, sharing that data back with their doctors. So it mainly captures patient reported outcome measures uh, so I suppose it, it could certainly be helpful to also capture safety data. Um, and we have done some of that for individual sub-studies, but the network overall, uh, the kind of bigger you know, pool of tens of thousands of patients are reporting patient-reported outcome measures only. Um, and, and then if we wanted to know um, more specific detail, then typically we'll invite people to join or ask clinical sites to recruit into a sub-study of arthritis power with a smaller cohort of patients that is looking at a few specific uh, aims. And what kind of PROs are you looking at? So we have a, a whole library of PROs. The default measures that are in there that are presented to all patients as soon as they join are the RAPID-3 and a number of uh, the NIH PROMISE measures. So that's the patient-reported outcome measurement information system that was uh, developed at the, the US National Institute of Health. And that is um, a, uh, a whole collection of mental health, physical health, and social health measures that are disease agnostic. So you can, um, so they're, they're symptoms, you know, to, they track along certain symptoms. For example, the four that we default in arthritis power are physical function, sleep disturbance, fatigue, and pain interference. Uh, but there's a whole, a whole list of other, uh, other uh, measures that are part of that promise library that we make available to patients in the arthritis power app. So if patients are interested in tracking other uh, patient reported outcome measures or symptoms, like depression, for example, um, they can add that to uh, to the list of things that they want to track. Um, okay. And we have built this to be flexible enough that for particular sub-studies, if we need to measure something that's not already part of our library, we just add it to the library and then put it in the, the custom uh, workflow for patients in a particular sub-study. And what do you find most patients stick to? They wouldn't do all of them, but they might do a couple. Are they, which ones are the popular ones patients stick to and, and fill out over time? 
Well, it tends to be the measures that are defaulted for them. So the default measures that I mentioned, the rapid three, physical function, pain interference are the big ones. Um, in this study that, uh, that we just published, which was actually a sub-study, just a, a subsection of arthritis power, that's exactly the question that we were interested in looking at. We wanted to know what are, you know, what are those outcomes? What are the patient-reported outcomes that patients find most meaningful, most relevant to them uh, for their own health decision-making that they would want to track? Um, and as, so, uh, as we were set up, yes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Excellent. So let's talk about that paper. It's published in Arthritis Research and Therapy very recently. You're the first author. Jeffrey Curtis was the uh, last author. Just tell us a little bit about the reason you did it, the background to it, and then we'll talk about study design. Yeah, I'm delighted to, to share information about this study. Um, and we were very interested in, in the results. But the reason that we undertook to, to do this research was that helping uh, patients with their health decision-making is a core tenant of patient-centered outcomes research. So it's based on the idea that if, if you can uh, understand the questions that patients themselves have, what, what are things that they want to know, what are the outcomes that they find meaningful or important to measure, and incorporate those into research and practice, that the theory is that ultimately that improves patients' use of evidence from research and their own health decisions so ultimately, that could help patients better manage their disease and achieve their health goals. So with that in mind, we wanted to understand fundamentally what are those patient-reported outcome measures that patients consider the most important, the most meaningful and relevant to them, uh, so that we could use that information from this study to inform future research and, and, uh, and clinical practice to see what are those measures that, yep that patients would want to track. Excellent. So I think the two keys are the use the smartphone app that we've discussed. And this study looked at uh, responses longitudinally, tracking patients over time. That's an important aspect for us to consider. So how did you design it? What did you do? So as you mentioned, we, we designed it all within the smartphone app of Arthritis Power. And so it was a customized or tailored user workflow or part, you know, study participant workflow in, for this specific study. So we invited any eligible member, member of Arthritis Power from the registry to join. So they were, received an email invitation to participate in this sub-study. And then once they joined the study at, at baseline, we essentially collected measures, collected data at four different time points at baseline. And then at a one-month follow-up, a two-month follow-up, and a three-month follow-up. Um, so at baseline, participants selected um, between three and 10 instruments, patient-reported outcome measures, that they wanted to track. And we, just to explain a little bit about the background for that, is we would present, as, as people like you do, you scroll through the screens or advance on app screens in an app, you are presented with a series of options. So we would say, which, which uh, measures of physical health are you interested in tracking? 
the participants would select the ones they wanted to track and then move to another screen and, and so on. So they had a few different screens where they could select which instruments they wanted to track. So of course, this was uh, a curated list that we put together um, of, I'd say, you know, no more than probably 30 total instruments that they could select from. And they, they needed to select at least three that they wanted to track and no more than 10. And then after that baseline measure, 28 days later, we asked them to review what they had selected at baseline. And then they were given the option to continue tracking that same measure or that same list of measures, or they could remove a measure, add a measure, select completely different measures if they wanted to. And then we did that again, two more times. So we had a total of the baseline plus three more uh, at the end of each of those three months uh, for a follow-up, they would do the same thing. And then at the time of the study completion, at the end of that third month of follow-up, participants completed an exit survey and they ranked all the measures that they had ever selected during study participation. So if they had changed measures, if they had added ones, removed ones, if they had at any point selected one of those measures, it would show up as an option for them uh, to rank. And so in that exit survey, just to give you a sense of, of what that looked like for them, they would see a screen where they had um, five different boxes and they would tap those boxes to rank the five most important assessments to them. And they could poke their finger on it, move it up or down so they could reorder, um, rank, select and, and rank them as they saw fit, you know, based on being first most important to fifth most important. So if they had selected less than uh, less than five, then they would rank the ones that they had selected. If they, they selected more than five, they would have to restrict to the ones that they uh, found were most meaningful to them. And what was the baseline demographic? What kind of patients did you get? Did you need to have university educated uh, English speakers or was it suitable for anybody across the, across the uh, so English proficiency, yes. Uh, people did not need to be uh, have a college education. Uh, we had 253 people sign up at baseline with a mean age of 56 years. Uh, most were female and white. Uh, and um, on average, those participants had been already living with their condition for about 12 years. About half of the participants at baseline reported they had rheumatoid arthritis, um, and then there was some overlap with OA, uh, total of 65% uh, had OA, and then of the total 253 at baseline, 40% also reported uh, fibro. So, so clearly there's a bit of overlap with the OA and RA, uh, and in some cases fibro and RA in particular. Um, and then some of the patients also reported other comorbidities like hypertension, uh, high cholesterol, depression. And very important things. And uh, pardon my interest, what you divide them into baseline completers and attritus. What's, a, what's an attritus? Yeah, so we, um, we did, so the people who joined at baseline did their initial selections so we could see uh, at a first glance if people at their first, uh, you know, their first go at this, what did they select? 
And then we did also the, the analysis for the 140 people who completed the entire study, meaning they did baseline plus the three uh, follow-up points. Um, so we did some comparison to see if there's a, any major differences between the folks who, uh, who signed up at baseline and uh, the folks who actually completed the study. And there weren't, um, there really weren't any significant differences that were notable between those two groups. So the baseline participants um, were a pretty good reflection of, of the folks who actually completed the study. Right. Okay, so the, the, the attrition rate was like roughly half. We just didn't do all, all them differently. Okay, that's cool. That's right. So tell us a little bit about um, um, your findings, how the PRO's measures were ranked and which ones the patients selected as the ones they wanted to continue with. So pain, um, perhaps not surprisingly, pain was the most frequently selected symptom to track among baseline participants. And it was split across two measures available for selection. So there was the promise pain interference and also promise pain intensity. Uh, so when you know when you add those together, that was about 83% of participants uh, chose a pain measure to track. Fatigue was also a pretty important important uh, measure. So promise fatigue was actually the single measure that was selected most often across all participants. That was about 78 percent uh, of participants selected that. And then physical function, the promise physical function measure was also very commonly selected. Uh, 67% of participants did that, selected that one. And also uh, duration of, of morning joint stiffness. We also thought it was interesting that we had offered a, two or three uh, promise measures uh, covering mental health domain. So from those, the, the promise measures, there's a collection of uh, mental health instruments depression, anxiety, um, and so on. Those were quite commonly selected as well. So if we added all those up, 82% of participants also selected at least one of the mental health uh, instruments. And usually it tended to be uh, depression. Is there any way to, tr to track over time how these measures change in response to therapy? Or you didn't capture therapy in a way that you could see if it improved pain? quality of life. Correct. We did not capture uh, treatment information in order to track it over time and how it changed uh, relative to treatment or, or when they started their treatment or, or dose and so on. So I think what you're bringing up, Professor Nash, is an excellent idea as a, a, a potential uh, use of, of this kind of, uh, uh, of the app, of the Arthritis Power Registry and app to engage patients um, right as they're starting a new medication. And we actually have studies to do that um, where currently we're recruiting from the clinic, from clinics, multiple uh, rheumatology clinics, as patients uh, are starting a new medication and then tracking a number of patient-reported outcome measures over time, uh, both daily and weekly measures. So we can, uh, we can use it for that. But for this study, we really just wanted to know, you know, just if patients without any context really um, wanted to, were invited to track what was important to them, what was meaningful for them, what would they choose? 
And so these are these are what we found. Yeah, so that would be very helpful for the clinician um, when you go down that road. You also included the RA flare instrument, OMARAC. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're finding through that particular instrument? It's interesting uh, how patients report flare, how often it happens, how often they do and don't tell the rheumatologist and their flare. It would be very useful for the clinician to understand flare triggers and response to therapy and what patients actually do. Yes, flare was interesting. So we made the Omarax RA flare measure available just to those patients who uh, reported a, an RA diagnosis, of course. And we found that uh, among the 52 of the 67 RA participants who, so about 78% of RA participants selected that, that flare measure at base, of the 67 that, you know, actually completed the whole study so we could track them over time. Um, it, it just dropped, people dropped that measure over time, which was a, a little surprising. I have some, some theories about why that might have happened, but whereas 78% of the RA participants um, who were completers selected it at baseline, by the final month, that third follow-up, only 15%, only about 10 of those 67 patients had actually still chosen to, to keep tracking RA flare. Um, I agree with you. I think it's, it's really an interesting measure to track and it's, a, it's an important uh, question that I think a lot of rheumatologists have for their patients. But I, what we speculate is that there may have something to do with the fact that patients are interested in tracking measures that they, uh, or symptoms that they can really understand. So the, those promise measures, for example, are pretty straightforward, fatigue, um, in pain interference, how much does pain interfere with your ability to do the things you wanna do and so on. Whereas flare, that, uh, that RA, uh, OMARAC RA flare measure is, is more of a composite. So it asks about pain, it asks about fatigue, it asks about your ability uh, to do the things that you wanna do you know, with your friends and family and so on. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think my only thought about that is that sometimes patients really want to see some of these individual, how some of these individual symptoms change over time. And because flare is a more um, kind of complex um, thing that's happening and includes a number of, of, uh, of symptoms that maybe it wasn't as compelling for patients. But unfortunately, at least as part of the study, we didn't ask that question uh, to, get a, to get a clear uh, message from them about why they chose to drop it. And tell us about your results and the, the, what the patients ranked first through five by report. Sure. So um, PROMISE, the fatigue measure, had the highest uh, weighted summary score overall, um, followed by a PROMISE physical function, and then the pain measures as well. So really, you know, fatigue was kind of a standout, but then physical function and and pain, the pain measures, pain intensity, pain interference, uh, were right behind it. And then a little bit further down uh, in the ranking, the joint stiffness, so the duration of morning joint stiffness, and also sleep disturbance uh, was pretty important uh, to patients. But, but there were some other measures that just didn't um, get selected at all, or, or very rarely in terms of ranking. Um, they may have been selected, but they just weren't ranked very high. And that was things like anger, promise anger, 
satisfaction with goals and activities, uh, sexual function. Um, and so again, it, it'd be interesting to know why those got bumped down lower on the list, but, um, but we didn't ask that question. But again, fatigue, physical function, pain, those are the big ones. I can't recall if you had a quality of life measure. We're always taught the patient's biggest concerns, pain, fatigue, and quality of life. Did you have a measure like that? So I think quality of life, we tried to capture, you know, with these other measures. So we didn't have a specific question that asked um, about quality of life per se. However, anecdotally, I know from talking to patients as a follow-up to this project, because we're because part of our our mission is to present our research results back out to the patient community and get them to to give us feedback and to potentially use this information. And it is true that when what we would probably do in a follow-up study that would make this really um, more, even more patient-centered is to ask patients to build their own PRO, build their own patient-reported outcome measure. And I think that's when you would probably see more of the quality of life as defined by the patient uh, come out or rise to the top. Anecdotally yeah, in, in conversations conversations with patients, they do say that the biggest thing for them, the biggest thing that matters to them as an outcome measure is, can I do the things I want to do? You know, can I, can I do the things that are fun? Can I do what I want to do with my life? And that's so, um, you know, it's, it just depends on the person. So, so I think that would be an interesting thing to do is to figure out how do we capture that uh, in a way that's more systematic. Well, it, it wouldn't be hard to put a hack in there your app very easily and I was interested that this um, satisfaction with group withdrawals and activities is so poorly uh, picked so that doesn't fit with that and if you make get the patient to make their own how are you going to validate it you're asking the problem so tell us a little <laughs> bit about yeah that's true <laughs> tell us a little bit about um, what the clinician can take away from this what your um, take-home message really is where you're going to see this research head off to in the future to help the clinician. And just before we get there, did the RAPID3 contribute anything significant to the to your finding? So RAPID3 first, and then take home message, and then where your research is going. So the RAPID3 was not a measure that we elected uh, to, to make available to them for, for their selection. We oh, had, I it was in retrospect, no, I, it's, it's part of arthritis power, the, the overall app, but we did not include RAPID3 in this particular study. Uh, we had the promised physical function measure in, which overlaps a lot in terms of the questions, um, in terms of be, you know, being similar to a hack. And, and the promised physical function measure is actually one of the measures that the ACR condones um, for, as, a, as a good measure to use. Um, for these kinds of things, the um, but but yeah, so we did not have a, a rapid three in terms of, and I agree with you actually what you said about. So it's a bit surprising that the satisfaction with roles and activities was so low because to me that would track more uh, closely to what anecdotally patients say about uh, you know what's important to them is being able to do the things that they want to do, which would you know which that measure uh, would actually seem to correspond with pretty well. So how can this help the current, 
you know, rheumatologists in clinical practice uh, think about managing patients with, with RA, um, these results definitely highlight fatigue as a key symptom that might not receive adequate attention in disease management. Uh, and, and perhaps it's, it's just overlooked by providers because it's, it's, it's less actionable. It's, it's you know, potentially a hard thing to treat. Uh, our results are, um, are consistent with what some of the OMERACT RA flare uh, researchers found as well when, when, you, when you ask patients uh, what are important domains for them? Fatigue figures pretty prominently. Um, and then you compare that with what uh, physicians consider to be important in terms of uh, RA flare and RA flare management. Um, fatigue is not as, you know, not on the radar quite as much. So I think it just reinforces that message that fatigue is pretty, pretty big deal for patients, um, but it's, it may not be something that's, uh, that either we don't have the tools to treat yet or it's just not something that gets the adequate, the attention it needs, um, you know, behaviorally or, and so on for disease management. And I think fatigue, in general, common, oh, sorry, go ahead. Fatigue is so common, but it, measures are all subjective. We don't have a good objective measure, nor do we have a treatment that we can offer that would make a big difference other than controlling inflammation and, and so on. So that's a toughie. It's not people ignore it. People can't measure it objectively. And therapy, once you've controlled inflammation, it often is just as bad as before. And so it's a real difficult symptom. We, we wish we had an objective measure that we could uh, test various therapies on. And it's due to so many different things. Yeah, it's a good point. And I hope, you know, we're, we're certainly not conveying with our... Uh, with our discussion section in this paper that it's something that we feel like it's the fault of providers for ignoring it. I think, as, as you said, it's, it's, uh, it's a tricky one. One thing that, that, uh, that we do think is, is important is related and important is, is sleep, right? So I think there are some, there's some ways we can, we've started to capture sleep using wearables and so on. And, and certainly there's some overlap with fatigue, um, but I, I think, yeah, it, it just, again, it's, it's a bit frustrating because fatigue is something that's, that's a tough one, but it does pop up again and again I pop think, up everywhere. from the patient perspective. Yeah. There's a company here who puts an EEG in a baseball cap and wirelessly sends the information off to a central uh, server, but it measures sleepiness, measures when you're about to fall asleep. So all the truck drivers, bus drivers, train drivers, school bus drivers are wearing this cap and uh, they get a wake-up call on their phone just before they nod off. But again, that sleepiness, which is very different to fatigue, but it's very objectifiable then. You can measure response to, to intervention, but very hard with fatigue. As you say, it's tied in with sleep. So where is this... Um, um, Sleep disturbance, rather. Where is the research going from here? So our, our next step would be to pretend, because this was a pretty broad swath of patients, I think the next, some of the next steps that we're exploring are to, to do a similar study in specific conditions. So get a larger sample just focused on one condition, lupus. Uh, or, or another condition that wasn't potentially, uh, you know, wasn't as well reflected in our data here. So that'd be one thing we would, we'd...
outcome measure, um, have a word cloud with a bunch of words that patients would select from, and then we help them map that to the available measures and so on. So I think uh, looking for ways to to better understand what's meaningful or uh, meaningful or relevant for patients to track uh, based on the condition that they have. Um, but I think overall, the, the way we want to apply this right away is in the other studies that we're doing where we are looking at patients starting on a, on a new treatment and making sure that we're including uh, the measures that we learned here are really important for patients uh, in terms of, of how they're doing uh, with their disease management and, and managing their disease activity. Well, clearly, uh, PROs are critically important to the patients and to the people looking after them. And we thank you again for your time today, Ben. This has been the CSF Author Review Podcast. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month, you can get detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. That's two L's. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Let your friends know that there's a podcast on these kinds of issues to listen to and let us know what you think. We'd love to get some feedback. So thank you so much, Ben, for giving up your time. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on.